Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. It already looks like my video and audio haven't reset, so I apologize for that. I'm going to try to do everything on my back end, but technology, sometimes it doesn't catch up. Uh, but if this is your first time or your 234th time, I believe is what the episode we are on now, uh, 234th, that's right. Uh, if you are have been a fan of the show or if you've just stumbled upon my corner of the internet, we bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space, talking about anything from either uh, growing your business as an entrepreneur for the first time, maybe going into the e-commerce world, uh, Amazon, direct-to-consumer, growing on different multiple marketplaces around the world, uh, scaling your business, talking about marketing, advertising, lo sourcing logistics, the list goes on and on and on which is good for you, the listener, because my experts that I bring on, and I call them friends of the show after they make it through an episode with me, they are the best and the brightest in the Amazon e-commerce space. So get out your pens and pencils or take it down your notes on whatever device you're listening on and pay attention. That's because all the episodes that we've had in the past have such great information, such great content in terms of what you're going to be looking for today. Uh, different topics come and go as we do this live, so if you're watching this on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter, and you have a question for myself or our guests, you can always ask below in the comment section. Uh, just go below and answer your question, uh, write your questions. If you happen to catch this after a live session, no worries. You can always just go ahead and tag myself or our guest, and we'll make sure we get those answered as well. Every time I have this uh, podcast, I always I always have a bunch of different takeaways, and, I, and I've yet to kind of hit this threshold, if you will, on, on the crossover commerce. We've been able to have lots of different companies called aggregators in the space, a lot of news happening where there's a lot popping up, then there's a lot laying off, there's, there's all these comings and goings, lots of friends in those companies that are trying to grow brands at scale. But we've never really turned the lens on a company uh, or been able to capture somebody who's been able to uh, sit down with us and kind of talk about that that exit process, if you will, from the eyes of a seller. Um, not that it's not fascinating, but it, obviously, as you can probably imagine, there's lots of NDAs. A lot of people want to be secretive about what business they might be exiting, uh, depending on lots of legalities. But on, honestly, it's really cool to understand from the perspective of a seller what that process is like, how to understand why they decided to go through um, an exit process, well, what made them not be able to uh, push and, and continue on with that journey? Or, you know, there might just be other reasons that a lot of people are asking those questions. So we're going to be kind of sleuthed detectives today and asking the questions to somebody I was introduced to. Uh, uh, he, he's based in Canada. His name is Stephen Aikman. He uh, was one of the top sellers in Canada's marketplace for uh, skincare. Um grew his business to eight-figure seller, exited back his business in 2019. And I'm really lucky to that he said yes to the podcast. Like I am very lucky that a lot of people say yes to this podcast, but I'm really excited to interview and talk with him today. Please welcome to Crossover Commerce, Stephen Aikman. I will unmute you right now. There you oh, go, Stephen. I, <laughs> I'll go into it. Ready, set. Now we're good. <laughs> hey, Ryan. Welcome to the Crossover Commerce. Thank you, Ryan. You got me scared, though, because you say we may not be friends after this podcast. So, uh... Oh, I say we call people friends oh, of the show. Oh, yeah, so this is this is a running joke that kind of naturally happened. Um, I know you know this because you've listened to all 233 episodes now. Um, <laughs> before, uh, I, I jokingly started calling people friends of the show after they make it through an hour with me. 
if they show up again, they're really friends of the show. But hey, uh, I want to consider them friends because they haven't left in the middle of a podcast. So that that's a win in my book. So uh, I appreciate I appreciate you taking some time today to kind of sit down with me. And I know you're a busy, man. You have a lot of different things going on, too. But uh, I appreciate you joining us today. No, it's great. I'd like for inviting me and uh, I'm glad to share my story. Yeah. So we were introduced to by one of my colleagues, actually, um, Eric uh, Schutzler. He's actually been on the podcast before. So shout out to Eric. I know he's listening today because he's a diehard uh, fan as well. He he introduced us because you guys were connected in prior experiences working with Amazon. Is that correct? How, how did you guys connect? Not exactly. And he was working, um, developing the Middle East marketplace and connected with me to uh, to sort of I guess expand into that place of the world and work with him and uh, got to know him quite well. Gotcha. So did that happen, or I guess like let me let me hear your story uh, first and foremost. Like, what did you 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 have a you have a history again? If I read your LinkedIn bio, that would be pretty boring. But hearing it from you, I'm sure it's <laughs> a lot better journey uh, than that. But you spent 25 years uh, working for a company. You decided there was there was time it changed. Like, what what's that story like for you? And how did you yeah. get into e-commerce? No, it's a great. Uh, Why well, I should update my LinkedIn bio if it's that boring? Um, <laughs> no, if I read it, it would be boring. Okay, got it. I can't bring uh, color to everything, man. Yeah, no, listen, I think we, we kind of step back a bit and we all think about uh, entrepreneurship and we all think about we want to be uh, next uh, Elon Musk or um, whoever it might your, your your visionary might be. And and sometimes as we do that, um, we, got, we have two paths. So you go down the traditional path of trying, 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 and, and then eventually you stumble upon something and, and others, you kind of do that traditional path. And, and that traditional path might be a little side business and and for me it was that side business that, that turned into something a lot bigger than i thought so um, something that you weren't expecting but you know you were putting in the work and it kept growing and it started yeah, to shift yeah. in that direction exactly i listen i i, I had mentioned you mentioned me 25 years i had worked for a really great company called rbc which is a, a large bank up in canada and, um, really enjoyed working that traditional route and, and had that, that fun nine to five job. And um, in 2013, I was introduced into sort of the e-commerce space. And at the time, it certainly was to look at sort of being that side business. And, um, uh, you know, people who are very familiar with the e-commerce and Amazon, that sort of, I would say the... Um, that's when the sort of that uh, thrust of the e-business started to occur um, right in the middle of it. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate to be part of that uh, that wave. But it doesn't come by chance. You have to still work your ass off. Um, and for me, I focused in on, I was very, very fortunate to uh, have some great relationships with uh, um, some very strong um, experts in the skincare business and uh, who also was located around the corner from me. And so working with them on a partnership to uh, to create a different brand and bring that brand to where I thought was uh, a market opportunity. And that was being the organic and natural skincare space that people um, wanted to, uh, to explore. So I think capitalizing on um, one, the market opportunity being, uh, being this organic natural skincare. Uh, to having a great product um, and working with some great people who know what they're doing. Because trust me, Ryan, I, I didn't know skincare 
before all this. So it was all new to me. I just knew a bit about business. They don't teach you that in the banking world, the 25 years. They don't teach you about organic skincare. I should have listened to my wife a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> listen, uh, we're, we're hitting that that stage. And I'll, I will never say her age, but I'll swear to God, she never looks older than, than 29. So uh, right. I, I always say it's, it's the skincare. Um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, as you go into these businesses, whether it's skincare or something else, you know, people, you know, in my case, it was as a, sort of a... Uh, an opportunity to do something on the side and, and um, uh, it took that opportunity and just, you know, I, I think leveraging platforms such as Amazon gets you to reach 70% of the population out there. And if you got a good product um, and you know how to deliver that product, um, people will like it. And, and for me, it just, it certainly was a snowball effect. It just, um, it just started to snowball from a, a few, uh, folks who liked it, and and then it just started to grow from there. That's amazing. I love that story. So, uh, going into some details, just to straighten a couple of things out. So, someone approached you about this opportunity. You said it was a side business. So, this isn't something you sought out. Of, hey, twenty five years in the banking industry, I I need to make another source of income. This is something that was like a hobby to you, or someone approached you about it. Like, what what was what was more of that? Yeah, no, I think you, you know certainly there was a lot of of. Um, folks that I knew that was getting into, into the Amazon world. Um, and uh, I, I think understanding what people were doing, you know, obviously different, different products, different categories, but the principle was the same. It was to offer an offering to, to clients uh, through, through that channel uh, or distribution uh, market. And, uh, you know, it, for me in terms of the skincare part of it, um, that was sort of um, a little bit of uh, folks that I knew that sort of fell in my lap and right place, right time. Right. So what year, do you mind if I ask, what year did you get started selling? Uh, be 2013, I think it was. Okay. So you were, you've been, you were there very early on ages or stages of FBA becoming pretty prominent, correct? Correct. And, and I think one of the things that was um, was happening in that sort of space, and this is being in Canada, is that they were trying to build a Canadian uh, .ca marketplace. And so you um, you had a lot of business development managers who really was willing to go out for you and, and promote for you. Um, and so being connected with them from the Amazon world, um, they were very, I was very fortunate to have them support me in terms of um putting my, our brand on the map. Gotcha. So in that capacity, 2013, were you hands-on day-to-day? What, what was it like that you had just, it sounded like there's multiple people involved, not just yourself kind of fumbling your way or feeling out how to provide a good product on Amazon. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, the, I was uh, later on, I added a partner, um, but certainly the early stages was, uh, um, you know, you had a lot of mentors that was already in the business that you'd be talking to. Um, and so those mentors would help, you know, I always say, if you're going to actually start this, you need to have one or two good mentors. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, it was living my nine to five world, coming home and living five to nine after that. And oh my so, gosh. yeah, yeah. And I'm talking 5 PM to 9 AM. Um, it, it certainly, at first it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of, you know, as, as, as a business owner, and especially when you're sort of in it on your own, you wear so many hats. Um, you've, you've got the product development hat, 
but you know, I again had experts that would help me with that on that side of things. But then you had the um, the marketing hat is how do you then you know how do you develop your brand um, uh, and and the logistics behind that. So you still got to get a product from A to B. You still have to make sure it's it's packaged well, it's done correctly. Um, you you have uh, the finance part of things. So when you need to get lending or you need to ensure that you have all the right um, financial banking information uh, that's needed for these marketplaces. Um, and then you had to have your customer service hat on. So, you know, one of the things that I understood very, very early in the business is that we took a product that traditionally clients walked into a store that was going to buy. They want to feel it. They want to touch it. They want to smell it. And all of a sudden, I'm now offering this product line that they can't see it, they can't smell it, they can't touch it, but they got to trust they're going to, they when they buy it, um, A, they're going to like it, and if they don't like it, they want to be able to return it. And one of the things that I did learn very quickly is, one, listen to the feedback of the clients immediately. Um, when they're telling you that this thing does not smell good, it's because it doesn't smell good. Change your scent. Right. Um, when they're telling you that the package opened up or it leaked, it's probably because it did uh, go back and fix that problem. So when you do those things, you've got to be able to communicate back and forth instantly with the clients because that's what clients and buyers want. They want instant information. And so um, I wore that customer service hat 24 seven and made sure that when there was an issue or problem that we would jump over uh, the moon and back for that client, whether it's to course correct the bigger picture what's wrong or it was to fix a minor issue that was it returns or refunds. You've got to be customer first focused. And I think, you know, that was part of the difference when a lot of companies were not focused on that. They were just they treated clients at sometimes as a nuisance as opposed to treating them as your best friend. Um, so, you know, I think that helped get over those early, I call it the, you know, when you go into an ocean, you got to get over that wave. Once you get over it, it's smooth sailing after that, but you got to get over that initial wave. You sound like every ideal seller out there that I think finds success. And what I mean by that, I think is a mentality thing, not just a product thing, because product can come in the, in the forms of, you know, market, market opportunity, or just great creativity, or just understanding the customer. But when you put the customer first, and again, everyone thinks like, is the is there a gaming system of the system? No, not all the time, but there is some capacity. But a lot of people focus on the negative side instead of the, hey, someone's just trying to find something quick, useful, apply it to their everyday lives because and they want the truth behind that. And it sounds like you were the one that was putting all that on the forefront and really focusing on hence successful business growth and opportunity for you. Uh, through Amazon, um, a couple of things like on the basis of foundation, is this something that you used? You, you said you have mentors. Is this something that skincare, health, wellness, very difficult topic. Any, if you ask anyone today of where do you not want to go into Amazon right now, it's going to be supplements. It's going to be something topical, something uh, digestible, something put on or in your body. Why, why get into health, uh, skincare products, all natural products, things like that? Was it opportunity or was there a passion behind that? Uh, number one was opportunity. It was uh, understanding the, the, the there was a niche market out there. I think niches are important. Niche is what kind of helped develop your foundation and you can grow from it. Um, I, I think, too, you mentioned about, you know, one of the things people often stay away from. And you're right, it, it, the most heavily regulated 
um, categories out there is your health and beauty. And, you know, one of the things that I also, again, I'm not sure how many hats I have on, but that compliance hat was huge. And compliance, you know, not just comes from a financial regulatory perspective that you have to maintain and follow, but the compliance of your actual product itself. And so um, when we had launched both in Canada and, and U.S. and then other markets, every market you get into, you have to understand what are the compliance regulations. Um, there's a lot of bad actors out there who try to circumvent. Um, but you know what? I didn't, the one thing I always can believe in is that always do Always go down the right path, meaning don't take shortcuts. Uh, do what's right from a client perspective, but also do what's right from a regulatory perspective. Because if you don't, um, someone's going to catch up to you. And I, I think we probably have seen, especially in the Amazon world, where Amazon's getting a lot smarter and they're starting to ask all the right questions. And so what's happening when they ask all the right questions a lot of sellers can't respond because they were never set up for compliance correctly. Um, so, you know, people going into this, these spaces, the one thing you have to learn is be compliant, understand the the country you're in and understand what those rules are and follow them. Right. So you started, so opportunity, obviously it's a very difficult thing, but you're, you're testing, you created a product. How many products did you, what, what was the, the gameplay? Yeah. Did you start with one or you're like, hey, we need to have like a, a line of products before we launch? What was that? Probably started maybe two or three and then it just started to grow to, you know, a portfolio of over 50. Okay. So you exited with over 50 in your portfolio under under the name All Natural, uh, excuse me, I'm going to say it right this time. Natural. All Natural Advice. I almost got the last part. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So where did that name come from? All Natural Advice. It was just like, it sounds like a, you know, uh, call one eight hundred number, and you you uh you say what, what's uh, good for me? You know, it's funny. Uh, I'll tell you where the all natural comes from. I want to make it's actually it's all natural advice skincare. Um, but the I want something when you have a brand. I, I want you know, listen. You don't know what Uber is, but if if you said before twenty years ago, if I said the word Uber, you're gonna go, uh, what's that? What's an Uber? Uh, but I wanted to have your, your name so that it, you know exactly when you say your name, they know exactly what it's what you're what you're selling sure. or, or offering. So the natural and, and this, the the advice um, the advice piece came actually from my former job. Uh, uh, we were in the bank. We were never when you sell or when you offer financial services. You know there is no product. You're offering advice, and so I just said it resonated with. You know, most people in Canada has got to write that word advice has to resonate with everyone. So the advice piece came from my banking world and then the, the, the tagline skincare just tied it all together. Gotcha. So you started with a few products, you, you ramp it up to 50 starting in, I'm a, I'm going to, this sounds silly, assuming Canada, but you probably looked at us market a little bit. Um, yeah, originally, I think, uh, yeah, I'd say the skincare we started in, in Canadian marketplace, um, it, it's where we, I, I, I think that was also a differentiated factor. People wanted to buy a Canadian brand. They wanted to know this product was made in Canada. They wanted to know that, um, you know, I do believe in, in community and I believe, uh, when you offer a community based sort of, uh, brand, people are going to be attracted to that. So, um, that, that that it helped us launch. It helped people saying we are supporting a Canadian company. Interesting. So you were all 100% all created, conceptualized, packaged, distributed via Canada. Correct. 
Okay. Was that important to you or is that something that you just follow like cost effective wise? You can't trust something outside mm-hmm. of your own ecosystem that you can put your hands in. No, I think, on, I think the first part was, is that uh, I trusted the product itself because I know I knew that I knew where it was being made and, and, and uh, created. And, and that was a big thing for us. Um, and, and it literally like we were out of Oakville, Ontario, which is just about 30 minutes, uh, uh west of Toronto. And, um, so knowing that the product is, is again, that community based product, um, knowing that, uh, people will resonate with that. And we actually had an advantage because, you know, there's a huge exchange rate difference in Canada, US and obviously Canada's a big country to ship around. Um, it's even more. Uh, expensive for when you are an overseas seller or, or a non-Canadian, you've got to ship your product into Canada. You're going to experience a lot more costs. We had that advantage too. Um, everything that all of our expenses and our revenue are in Canadian dollars. Um, so when all of a sudden your expenses are in US and you're getting Canadian revenue and you're getting that check back at 25% less, you're going, what the heck? So we had a lot of advantages coming in. Um, which I think, again, played in our favor uh, being sort of the Canadian brand. Yeah, I jokingly say when I was in Canada, I was actually in Canada two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. I must say two weeks ago now. Um, was in Toronto and we were trying to do the exchange rate in my head. Working for a fintech company, you'd think that I would be a little bit more prepared for it. But we just all kind of just assume we're like, just call it 25% off. And that's that's what we just did in our head. Is that is that smart? Is that effective? Is that uh is that financially responsible? Probably not. Yeah. But it was uh it, it was something that, like you said, from working with a company that's in fintech and cross-board payments, that all matters and that adds up quickly. So if yeah. you're selling in the United States, you're gonna receive US dollar, you live in Canada. U.S. dollar, it, it plays a lot of places, but it doesn't pay the bills, and it, you don't, it, it doesn't exchange well up there um, in Canada. So you have to have something that helps you in that regards because of the exchange rate, because of different comings and goings of money. Huge factor, I think. You know, if you can, I, I know this is where uh, you guys are really good at is is sort of that moving that money around, and if you can move that money around at a two or three percent less trust me that adds up when you start talking about millions of dollars absolutely so you're 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 doing well you're, you're launch you've launched your products you're growing your business did you ever pivot away from amazon or is it always just an amazon centric brand that you've developed and you said hey this can be something bigger i want to i want to be in retail i want my wife to be shopping one day <laughs> and see her pick it off uh the shelf and have that vision did you have a grandiose vision or you're like Hey, Amazon's really good and it pays my side hustle. And yeah, it's a, it's it's a nice. great question. This is, moves into sort of the exiting strategy. Um, you know, the, 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 the play that I had made was, um, again, I, I'm, I'm operating this uh, really uh, myself. And of course, again, you have people around you and it always takes a, a village to raise a family. But at the end of the day, you're doing a lot of work. And you, if you need to scale this, you've got to be able to scale it where you can do this repetitively. Um, for us, the easy strategy was other marketplaces leveraging the same platform. Um, you know, what you just have to understand is how does uh, the money move around differently? So there's that financial part of it, which was a big factor for us. You got to think about the tax strategy because uh, every government, every country has different taxes and you need to understand what that tax structure looks like. 
in what you're responsible for. And then the third thing is obviously the compliance in every country is different. But outside of that, the platform's the same. And so if you can, you know, get over those hurdles of, of uh, taxes and logistics and, and uh, compliance uh, in the country you're going into, and all you gotta do is repeat and rinse the same formula uh, of what you're doing on your, your current marketplace, which for me was Amazon Canada, and it was a big win. Um, in order to get into sort of the bricks and mortar, that's where it's a whole new ballgame because now you're, you're, you're talking um, wholesaling, you're talking about um, adding a lot more responsibility. And I think that's where part of my, where my head was at was, you know, how do I, if I want to grow this from a $10 million business to a $100 million business, um, what do I need? And one thing I needed was resources and, and resources can come from one of two ways. It can come from uh, financial, which for me was not necessarily a, a barrier where my barrier was the time and uh, sure. the human aspect of things. And I needed people to, to grow that and grow that fast. And so that was, again, part of my thinking was how do I um, start, you know, part of the exit strategy is bringing on a, a good partner or a good um, uh, individual or company that you can sell to that's going to be able to take this to the $100 million business. Okay. So what was it a, was there a certain feeling that you got or was it a metric? I, I know there's going to be a lot of sellers that listen to this that say, how do I know that I need to make that next elevated step or whether I need to bring on people or I need to bring loans in or and tap into more money? What, what is that? If you had to give advice in that, Stephen, what, what's kind of that, that feeling or metric that you're yeah. looking at? I think I'm going to call it, uh, I'll try to say, I'll bring it down to three things. So the first one is your personal situation going on, right? So I think a lot of things that factor into growth is just their own individual lives. Maybe they are going through divorce. Maybe they're, you know, they're, they're at a transition in, in their stage. Maybe it's someone like me who they, they, they were just, they didn't want to give up their day job at the time. Um, there's a lot of factors I think that goes into that initial, but the biggest per the biggest one is your personal life. Do you have the resources and time to commit to it? So if that answer is no, I don't have those resources. I've got too many things. I got health issues going on. I've got, uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I, you might be at a point where you want to retire. Those are the big, that personal gut feeling is the number one decision why you, you want to decide to exit. The second one is um, exiting on top. So do you think you can grow the business any more than you possibly can on your own? Um, or in the, the sort of that little environment bubble that you're, you're dealing with? If the answer is, no, I can't, you got to think about potentially selling. And the third one would be, you know, um, if I don't sell, what's my alternative? The alternative is continue doing what you're doing. And so A, is that going to burn you out? It, or, or B is is that going to you're gonna, you're gonna put the resources in and grow it and and be the next uh, Elon Musk, or are you going to uh, potentially blow the whole thing up and and so do you cash out um, at an at a at a point where you've maxed out your your profitability and revenue um, with the with the limited resources that you're working with? Yeah, I th I think that's. Those are all very valid things. I think, like you said, what a lot of people run into today, and again, if you weren't listening to this earlier uh, and you just tuned in, uh, Stephen Eggman, 
uh, is with us from a seller's perspective of exiting business. You exited in 2019. So a lot of people in my friend group or my mentor group and seller community, if you still listen to them, Stephen, is a lot of people thought that that pre-2020, obviously you saw this this balloon of all these exits, all these aggregators coming into space, but you exited it actually. It's, it was always an option in the forefront. Um, when, you, when you were doing that, you know, you're speaking to the same thing that a lot of people have to look at when they want to leave their businesses if, is growth a factor. If, if I have to overcome all these different fees, like you said, sor- sourcing logistics is a really headache for a lot of people, uh, people, people, time, equity, those are things you can't get back. And if you can't get over that hurdle, then obviously you're just, there's no more growth opportunity for you personally. So we might as well cash out on that. Was there one of those things that really stood true more than the other? Because you did this for six years, quote unquote, on the side. Was it ever like full day job for you or when did you make that transition? So um, mentioned earlier, I brought on a, a partner sure. um, down the road and and uh, the, that partner owned a, a percentage of the, of the business. And he was at a, a point in his life that he wanted to retire. Um, and so the option for me was looking at buying out my partner. Um, uh, bring on a, on a new partner or, or sort of selling the whole thing. Um, one of the biggest factors, and, and, I, and I'll, I'll be honest, I was on the fence the entire time um, because, you know, things were, things are, and they were back then doing extremely well. And, you know, I always had the vision that, ah, it will never end. It's going to keep on growing and growing. Keep and cashing growing. those checks. Yeah. And, and we were seeing... I was seeing growth rates of two, three, four hundred percent every year, and so when you're doing, you know, your first year a hundred thousand, and then you're doing five hundred, and then you're doing a million, and then you're doing two, and then you're doing four, like you're looking at this as this, um, you know, this sort of uh, rate of return and growth rate, just a nice little hockey stick. Um, things do level up though. You know, so you get to member before you go back to resources and, and, and Amazon is a great channel. Um, we ended up going to um, not through sort of the bricks and mortar. We did look, we did go out to other e channels. So we did leverage to um, to Walmart's and we actually started to involve in overseas um, and started to export our, our products to um, other markets. One is, is through China, for example, which actually was a very big market for us. Um, and to the Middle East, we started to go outside of Amazon, but through sort of different um, different platforms, and and found success there. Um, but again, I couldn't necessarily sustain this without either bringing on a whole new team, um, giving up that day job, or you know, in, in case that I made a decision was factoring in of of a, a relationship that I had that wanted to sort of exit the business uh, for personal reasons. We all talked about what is the personal hit. His was retirement. Um, and, uh, part of it was to me, I still want to see this company grow from, um, I gave him a 10 to hundred million dollar business. And I wanted to have a strategic, um, partner, uh, buyer that would take me there. And that's where Mimi's rocking. And, and so, um, they're the ones that I ultimately decided I was going to sell to. So when you made that ultimate decision, obviously for personal reasons, when a seller makes that decision, what would what advice would you give them in terms of look start starting that process? Is it, hey, we want to make sure we're we're 
buttoned up on these areas or is it making sure your numbers are in order or going directly to uh, private equity or going to a broker? What are all these different things that people have to juggle when they when they finally decide, hey, I'm, I'm at that point that Stephen was. When do yeah. what, what do I need to do next? So um, I, I think so for, for, for me, uh, the company I sold to is a publicly traded company. So when you go as a publicly traded company, the due diligence um, is, is, is high. And so there's a lot of auditors involved, a lot of people looking at your books, um, looking at the process. So um, the first thing you do is you got to evaluate what your business is worth. So let's start there. So how do you evaluate um, your business? Um, there's different ways for, for evaluation. Um, people can look at your, your revenue, they can look at your EBITDA, um, and then you can put a factor on, on that. And, um, you know, not everyone, I, I, one thing I'd say is when it comes to individual sellers, don't think you're going to cash in 10 times your EBITDA or 100 times your, your or five times your revenue. Um, especially if you're a newer seller, you have to have history. You've got to have, you got to have proven track record of, of your sales. And so we had, you know, six years, seven years. You had a healthy track record. Let's just say that. Yeah. Very healthy and very strong growth with a very strong supply chain in behind us. Um, And then the due diligence part is very important. So from a compliance, all of our I's were dotted and T's were crossed. So we had ensured that we were compliant in the countries that we sold into. We were ensured that we had the right um, uh, from a, from a, from a, a, a financial and tax perspective, we were lined up um, and that, you know, they weren't necessarily buying just the, the brand. They're also, were, they wanted to buy me. Um, and that was a big factor for me in selling is, is I didn't want to give up. I, I listen, I, 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 I don't know how you think I want to look, but I, I'm, I'm turning 50 this year and, and, and I'm not ready yet to throw this tallow in. So um, they wanted to bring me on board. And, and one of the, part of the factor into, you know, what we've termed for evaluation was, um, was if I'm going to come on board. And so that to me was important. And uh, it allowed me to, uh, I made that decision to give up the, the day job, um, uh, sell the company to them and, and move over. But um, yeah, so the first thing is selling is number one, what's your track record? What's your growth? Uh, second thing would be, do you have your ducks in order? Is your, is your own backyard pretty cleaned up? If you don't have a good backyard cleaned up, you might want to consider holding off for a bit. Um, and then finding that right partner. So if you are looking at just, I want to exit and, and cash in and, and sit on a beach in Florida, um, you know, you're going to probably find an FBA air gear out there that's willing to do that. They don't necessarily want you or need you. They're pretty good at what they do already. So what they're looking for is they want to buy your, um, your asset. Your asset is your, uh, your page ranking. It's your, it's your brand. It's, it's how people look for your searchability. Um, so, you know, if you do that, you expect to pay a little bit less. Uh, they're not going to pay as much because they've got the infrastructure behind it. But if you're looking at uh, people who want to take you on as well, uh, and they want to buy because an asset is is a person as well, and if that person, uh, if you have something to bring to them strategically uh, and it makes sense, they're going to want to pay more for you. So you got to factor those in. And so look at your. I would say there's two ways. You know, typically, often it's one times one and a half times your your revenue. 
Um, but it also depends upon what your margins are in behind the scenes. So uh, for EBITDA, um, EBITDA can range anywhere from three times to so seven times your EBITDA. Um, and again, with that strong track record. Absolutely. Well, there's a couple of things that is really cool. So you, you are now working with this company still today, correct? That is, yeah. that was part of the agreement. Uh, was there a time frame that they were saying, or they were just like, you know, the business inside and now the values use Steven, like you're still doing it, but we have like the resources and the capital and things like that. Is that, is that something that a lot of sellers that you've heard of is the case or people just want to clean cut or is that a traditional? You're going to, yeah, I would say, so for my case, the, they wanted to not just buy the brand um, and, and buy the, uh, the, the, let's call it the positioning assets that it comes with and, log and the proven logistics behind it. But they, this, you know, Mimi's Rock is a, a publicly traded company in Canada that it wants to grow and they want to grow in that space. And, and just like all good, good companies, they want, you know, I'm not trying to break or anything. I'm going to be as Canadian humble as I can, but they want good people. <laughs> Uh, to help them grow. And so uh, part of that was for me to come over and, and yeah, uh, it was a, a contract to stay for long term. And there also was an equity position in there too. Um, so, and that was important for me because I need a, I need a stake in the game. Right? Mm -hmm. So I like having a stake in the game. I want to see companies that, I, that I'm part of um, where I have an ownership stake to, to grow it. So um, that would, for me, it wasn't a cash in, uh, walk away. Thank you very much for the check. I'll see you sometime in Florida at uh, Margaritaville. It, As it I say, you said you're, you haven't even hit 50 yet, man. You have a lot, you have a lot more businesses to start and a lot more, uh, I was going to say marketplaces to take over and things like that. So in that, in that capacity, how, how does, how does that connection meet? Like you're not going out there with like a prospectus and you're not shopping it around to like, uh, individuals, I'm assuming along the way you're getting, you're getting calls, you're getting, um, asked about from, you know, all these different points of contact. What, what was that? If you can, again, I know NDAs and you're still currently uh, working with them. How, how did that natural relationship connection happen? Was it by accident? Was it by choice? Was it um, when you were still starting to shop around or what was that? No, it's actually, uh, oddly enough, uh, they had contacted me. Um, so this was a, a, a group of, of uh, very, very intelligent people. Um, you know, there was, I'd, I'd say, half the camp were uh, uh, capital investors by nature of their entire lives who had the absolute business smarts and, and, uh, and, and the capital structure and the people and investors behind them. And then you had the other half, which is uh, folks who are uh, very tenured senior in this world and space. And so, you know, those two folks uh, who started the initial Mimi's Rock, uh, the, the group itself, um, they're the ones that strategically went out and looked for companies that fit this this sort of what was in their, their wheelhouse. And I, I fit that wheelhouse. And, you know, uh, as, 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 as all those stars lined up, they were also from Oakville. And so that community was very important. So having... Um, in my case, Mimi's Rock being a, an Oakville uh, uh, geographically located company with very smart people that I could work with and a, and a whole team behind them of uh, uh, not just in a sort of, a, you know, executive level, but at a very um, 
uh, I'm going to put this uh, a functional level people that get shit done. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say they get it. Like they yeah. they know what it takes to get it and yeah. and do things. They don't just sit around and theorize. They they actually I'm assuming test and they they listen to logic. They look at data. It sounds like I I personally don't know them and maybe that's not a bad thing. That's also just a companies are trying to grow on Amazon. So are they are they just in the skin Carolina? I, I want to like break this down for somebody who's listening is like, hey, is this your their introduction into a specific category or is this something that they're very focused on? We want to rule the world of skincare in Canada. No, they're actually the the, the brand they had purchased prior to me was um, uh, one of the top selling brands uh, in supplement world in in um, uh, on US called Doctor the Bias. Uh, that yes. was their, their first. I've heard brand. of it. So I've heard well, of it. Him. Him. Whatever yes. you want to call it. It was a guy. It was, uh, his it was name a guy. Was bias. Yeah, he was actually was a a German Canadian. Um, and uh, he was German, but he married a Canadian. So like, you know, again, there's that, German that Canadian. Um, and so he had created and started the brand Doctor the Bias, and in 2018 sold that company to Mimi's Rock, uh, which was their first purchase. And then um, at that time, is is sort of they had reached out to me and uh, hummed and hawed for about a year, and then a year later um, we joined. So that's amazing. So in, in that capacity. If uh, a seller, I've heard anywhere from obviously the payouts, there's people that do join on board in the people capacity um, to make sure. I've always been one, Stephen, that says it's really hard to replace the passion it is for that brand. For example, a lot of companies, they might want to you know, raise money. They might throw a person who's a product manager or a brand manager at something that they've not spent a lick of time on. You spent six plus years before you decided to quote walk away from and join it still and even see it grow to today you know the ins and outs of it. it does it hurt you to see people kind of walk away from something they put so much time and effort into it's and then under, and then and then see it either tank or see it not do as well as one might think does that is that you as an entrepreneur does that really hurt you to see that yeah, that's a great question. It's I, not for everything, but a lot of people have told stories like that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think, first of all, there's, there's always the business sense where you have to be able to separate and understand. Um, for me, when I sold, I, I sold the company uh, to Mimi's Rock, and you know, the first couple months is difficult because I'm making all those decisions without having to go and ask someone. Uh, now I'm part of a team. And now you have to ask, yeah, you can't just uh, say <laughs> yes to people. You have to get checks and balances there. Exactly. So I think, you know, the good news is if I had worked for a large corporation, so I'm kind of used to that space and environment. Um, so I, I could transition, but, you know, historically, and, and I had worked with in commercial banking for years and years. And, and when we go through sort of mergers, acquisitions, it's very uncommon for the founder, the owner to stay longer than six months. It usually does not happen. Um, there's always a transition period. Um, but uh, most times that owner who started it gets more fed up because again, they don't, they have different strategic directions. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have like-minded people who, who took over the company. And when you have like-minded uh, people like-minded goals, um, then you can accomplish a lot more. So uh, I had to try to learn uh, absolutely um, uh, how how to how to navigate through all this. But at the same time, I I, look, I changed my philosophy from 
this is all about all natural advice versus this is all about Mimi's rock. And when you have that, that when you change that sort of mindset um, of this is, you know, all of ours, um, I was rewarded when I was sold the company. Um, but I'm also here to do a job and that job is to grow. And again, going back to having stake in the game, you want to see that growth, right? So, Absolutely. yeah. Um, yeah. Again, if you're, if you're looking at selling, most people just sort of cash out and, and sometimes there's different ways that you can cash out, right? I mean, cash out can be when you can sell it, you can sell it straight, uh, for a check today. Um, you know, expect when you do that, you're going to get less of a, of a multiple. Um, you can uh, cash out with sort of a stay on for a year. Um, and then there's often a, a payout based on performance. So, you know, you can look at we're going to pay you, let's call it maybe three, four times right now. But if you reach this benchmark in, two, in the following year, you're going to receive the remaining one or two times on top of that. So that's another way you can structure a deal to get out. Um, and of course you can have some equity stake in there. Um, again, it all depends upon who's buying you and what's the strategic reason for, for the purchase. Um, irrigators, again, just look at buying and then they've got a well oil machine that they can just bolt on, um, other brands and just, you know, again, you're, you're, you add in revenue without adding the cost. Um, that's what they're doing. And that's a very smart way to do it. Um, and in some cases, uh, again, when you buy another company or companies, are you thinking of being purchased? The, the question is going to be is what's the risk level that the other company's taking? What, how much they're willing to pay for that risk? And, and then again, what is the structure going to be going forward? And there's so many ways you can structure an exit. Absolutely. And, and, that, and that's the beauty of having options too. It's like, what's best going to be for either both the company that's buying the business and also the seller, the entrepreneur, the company and brand. Um, back in 2019, obviously we're, we're in the year 2022. What, what's, what's been your take Stephen, on kind of the, the landscape? How's it's kind of rocketed up a lot of people saying crazy multiples kind of like coming back to planet earth a little bit here in Q1 end of Q4 last year and really just understanding of maybe not a lot of them will exist anymore, but like the smart strategic players, private equity, um, like the ones that your, your company is, are you're now a part of and other sellers who are trying to survey the landscape. How do they, what, what is the ones that they want to see their brand continue to grow? What advice would you give people to like, not just those typical numbers, like you said, of like the flashy, they're going to throw all the money at you, but they may not, may not be around for a long time. There were a lot of promise, but not, uh, you know, come through in the long run. And you want to see, obviously as an entrepreneur to see your brain grow, you kind of want to put it in the right hands as well. What, what is your kind of perspective on the landscape right now? Um, I think landscape now has, like you said, it's been a bit of a roller coaster between 2019 to 2022. Um, this like night and day, I, I would say what you saw in 2019 was a race of buyers to buy as many brands as possible. You saw that continue, uh, especially through 2021. You saw um, really record growth in e-commerce because of the pandemic. Um, people were not going into your traditional bricks and mortar into your CVSs, your Walmarts. They were going online and they were buying. Um, and then you saw a, a really shift, a weird shift 
when uh, the mandate stopped and, and, and people started going back to normal life. And so I think that was determining factors that you started to see revenue maybe a decline in some of these areas. Um, and you saw a massive increase in expenses for sellers. Um, in 20, late 2021 in particular, I mean, we're all, you know, I think the US came out today with an 8% inflation number, which is the highest they've seen, um, I don't know since when, but I'm, I'm sure since- A while. A while, yeah. And, and so, you know, you have these 8% inflationary growth, and then you think about in behind the scenes, your suppliers are probably tacking on a five because they want to get some more margins out of this. So your expenses are going up 10 to 15%. So your EBITDA numbers, so your, your revenue is either, uh, in my mind, some, not the growth it used to be, sometimes they're flattening, but your expenses are going up like this. So I've seen that companies that are, or sellers that don't have the control of their expenses and are not doing the right things to grow the revenue, they're going to be have a big eye opener when someone comes to say, I want to buy you because the, the valuation is going to go down. Um, and I think what you're seeing now is you're seeing some cherry picking happening. You're not seeing a lot of these uh, uh, companies just throwing big fat checks at you. They're being more strategic on who they're choosing and as to why. Um, I'm not saying it's not going to, it will happen. I mean, these irrigators or private equities or whatever they might be, these folks were, there's a lot of money in behind the scenes. And in behind the scenes, you've got a lot of investors that want to see growth. And so you, organic growth uh, can occur, but how you really grow is through acquisition. And, um, and so I still see acquisition happening. I just think it's going to happen at a slower pace and maybe not as strong as what people thought, but it doesn't mean that you can't maximize what the offer is because when you do own, and I'll talk specifically right now with Amazon, if you do own an asset being an ASIN that is a well-performing ASIN with strong reviews and good history behind it, that you're not going to see a lot of new people come into this world. You're not going to see a new seller come in and, and overtake like you saw in 2013. It was, oh, who's new now and who's number one now? Who's like, it was sort of like, oh, that guy was gone in six months. What you're going to see now is the stable core of, of, of sellers that are currently owning that market share. You're, you are going to see, I would say, your traditional brands you normally would see and the bricks and mortar start to weed in there. Um, and be more competitive. But what you're not gonna probably see is a lot of new sellers come in. And those new sellers, I think not as they're gonna come in, but they're not gonna come in like they were before. So again, when you are one of those sellers who own a very good brand, you still have a very good asset to sell. And so those are the ones, those are the people that are going to do well in exiting. Um, the the folks that come in and, and you know, have maybe 100,000, 200,000 with the sales. Sure, there's going to be someone that's going to come in on for you, but don't expect to be this great big massive check. Yeah. And you even still see it from the perspective of numbers of people that are opening seller accounts of still thousands of people are entering on a daily basis, monthly basis as well. And it scares a lot of people to think that there's going to be constant competition, but a lot of them either don't exist or they're not good. And there's a reason why they can be found. Uh, is there, is there a way that you can still, do you still tell people you can still start your business on Amazon? You can still be profitable. Mm -hmm. Things have changed since you first started. 
you just have to coach a little bit differently and you have to kind of overcome a couple more barriers again, financially, but also in terms of terms of service and things like that. What, what are your, like you said, a ment- you said you relied on mentors. How do you mentor other people on that? Yeah. So number here, rule number one, there's always an abundance. There's always an abundance. It's out there. Uh, our population is growing. Immigration is growing. Um, U.S. and Canadian marketplaces are growing. And then you think about the, the outside of um, North America, China, India, um, those, the middle class is making more money than they ever had before. And, uh, you know, uh, millennials in that world are buying North American products. So we like our stuff. They like our stuff. Yes. Um, the, the bottom line is, is that there's always going to be an opportunity to grow. So if we always think, if you think back to the ages of the first car for, you know, people thought, oh, you, you know, no one's ever going to come up with something new or no one's going to, you know, have a, a better version of this. There's always going to be a better version. You've got to, you always grow. So number one, the, 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 the high level thought is there's always going to be an opportunity. Never, never, ever think there's not an opportunity. Number two, there's an abundance. So there's always going to want people who are going to want to buy something. Number three, you just got to figure out how to do it better. Right. And, you know, the always I've always said client first, client focus is rule number one. And rule number two is having a really good product to offer. Because if you don't have a good product, then it doesn't matter how much you treat the client, they're going to walk away. doesn't matter how much you throw at PPC or anything like that. People they always come back to the product itself, the service, whatever it is. I always tell people, if you believe in the product or the product's good and quality, no matter what it looks like right now, it will last and it will be good. And it will, you know, that, that is the thing Amazon looks at is they want good quality products. They want to stick in front of people. Again, advertising, if you want to be cynical, of course, you want to pay for that. But at the end of the day, if they still get tanked on reviews, if they still get tanked on ratings, the product is crap. Amazon will also remove that regardless of PPC spend or what they're willing to spend on that. It just comes back to ultimately product. So see, Steven, I know we're already back up on time and I would talk to you yeah. pick your brain all day. You have things to do um, as well, but I'm curious as you look at forward to 2022, first and foremost, two questions. Okay. What what are you what are you excited about moving forward in the space of e-commerce? You've you've kind of seen it a while now. You're fully ingrained into it with Mimi's Rock. You're are you acquiring? Are you growing still the portfolio that you started? What, what are the things that you're doing currently? And then also, are you going to enter a different category and sell under a different brand? In the <laughs> Maybe start with that one. Okay, uh, that that part. Uh, well, I, I would say it would be through acquisition. Um, okay. Yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it would be, we, we've, so that we, our first focus here is our organic growth. Um, sure. we're, we're growing organically and, and, and obviously Amazon continues to be a very main factor in this, but, uh, we've actually started the, um, uh, and already started entering, uh, non Amazon marketplaces. Um, and, and, and that could mean both, um, geographically, uh, it could mean a different, uh, uh, Mark, uh, different distribution channel, um, but it also can mean bricks and mortar. And um, so we we actually are sort of in that works right now. And we're and the good news is that uh, we have seen uh, very strong organic growth in in our brands. And um, you know that's great. So we're continue seeing that growth, um, but we're going to uh, see growth. I think just from uh, different distribution points. Uh, second thing is. Um, 
you know, as a, as a company that's starting to diversify into greater breadth of health and wellness, um, we'll continue to see uh, growth. And um, we've always said acquisition is a very important part of our strategy and that will continue to be. So uh, I would say um, that's the part that brought me uh, into Mimi's Rock was being surrounded by really smart people to, 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 to grow the, the overall brand of Mimi's Rock. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for hopping on again, crossover commerce today. Such a cool and fascinating story. Again, I think a lot of people just need to take a breath and they look at a lot of the bad things, but also the good things that come from it passively. You, you started this journey. I know a lot of people think, yes, it is. It is a full-time job, but you were working that full-time job hours pass like on the side too. So it is, it is an important thing to figure out, do it correctly. Um, Maybe I asked, I meant to ask this earlier in the show, what are you looking to, like, who are the people that you listen to that you, you take inspire, get inspiration from in the space? Or do you have like those sources of like tools or services that you really like? I'm not asking for ping pong. I'm asking for like, <laughs> what, what you as a seller, like that you get information from that you kind of survey and listen to as well. I actually listen to a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, there's some really good ones out there. I follow a lot of Canadian entrepreneurs um who in my mind are i look up to um and i listen and so if you look at their strategy the strategy never they always keep the same philosophy of what they're trying to achieve um and the biggest thing with with entrepreneurs who are successful is that they have resilience and you know that means when you hit those roadblocks you say screw it and then jump over it i'll find a way around it versus people who have low resilience and they they allow uh, we all have personal lives and and personal lives get in our way sorry i shouldn't say that that sounded so bad personal lives are great but we sometimes allow what's happening with our, our life to affect um, our business strategy and you sometimes you got to separate the two if your business strategy is to kick up your feet and enjoy life and, and sell out go for it you know maybe there is a health issue but you know, uh, have the support of your family around you, listen to your family, um, but listen to good entrepreneurs. And that's what I do every single day. I follow, you know, actually I follow you, Ryan. Um, <laughs> I listen to all 233 episodes. My man, I appreciate <laughs> it. Well, it took, it took me long enough to get you on here. I need to find out all my good listeners out there, all 10 of them and, and get them on the podcast more. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I appreciate that. And thank you so much, Stephen, for the kind words and just sharing your information, your story. It's not done yet, which is really cool. Yeah. I thought th this is something that a lot of people don't think is that there's bigger out there. there. There can always be more. There can be those collaborations, those joint ventures, as you will. So um, I appreciate your time that you spent today just educating our audience and also just sharing your story. It's, it's something that it's never the same for every single person. It's, it's always a different journey. So, um, very fascinating. And thank you so much for hopping on. Now I can give you the friend of the show, uh, badge, <laughs> if you will. Uh, if, if that's something that you can put on your LinkedIn profile, if you want, I to will. Absolutely. I, I made it through this and, uh, you're great. <laughs> I, well, I appreciate it. No, thank you so much, Steven. Again, if people in contact with you, with you or they have questions or if they even oh, absolutely if, if there's a if there's a company that they might want to pick your brain on um whether acquisition or selling how would they do that and get in touch with you yeah and if someone's looking at exiting and they just want my opinion of how to exit um more than welcome to have a conversation with them so feel free to reach out with me through linkedin that's probably the best way 
Okay, perfect. So uh, obviously, if you're watching us on LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, Facebook, or uh, Twitter, you can obviously uh, search in the show notes. If you're listening to this, you can go and check out Stephen's profile. It's going to be in the show notes or the resources section that we have for every episode. So make sure you check that out as well. Stephen, thank you so much for hopping on Crossover Commerce today. Thanks, Ryan. No problem. And everyone, thank you for hopping on Crossover Commerce again. This is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and, bright, best and brightest. I want to thank, uh, again, Ping Pong Payments for supporting this podcast. If you have questions or you want to sign up and, uh, as Stephen said, utilize, and it's super important to understand the uh, the nature of money and making sure it works for you, go to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast to listen to all 234 episodes once they become available. But of course, check out this, uh, check out the transcriptions, check out the key takeaways in all the past episodes that we've had and awesome, amazing guests that I call friends of the show. Thank you, Stephen, so much uh, for hopping on and for everyone who tuned in live and listened to Crossover Commerce. This is a packed week. We have lots of great friends coming back to the show, but also just new people who are going to be talking about new tools and features, really exciting buzz uh, companies. Uh, for example, we're going to be talking about conferences uh, from friends of the show, uh, Chris McCabe and Leah McHugh, uh, Seller Velocity Conference that's happening in Bend, Oregon. We're going to be talking a little bit about that and what they're looking forward to, which amazing content they always bring and share at shows like Prosper Show and their own show that they've put on. But then also um, we will be having the new company, Carbon6, coming on. A lot of people have heard buzz about them. We're talking about buzzwords. I'm going to be having uh, Clayton from Carbon6 talk about one of their acquisitions, believe it or not, PixelMe, and the tool that helps businesses grow and uh, track resources uh, with influencers. So that'll be really cool. So if you don't know and haven't already done so, follow me on social media, follow Ping Pong Payments on social media to make sure you get notified of all future episodes um, when we go live. So that being said, I'm Ryan Kramer. This has been Crossover Commerce episode 234. It is Tuesday, April 12th. Thank you guys for listening so much. And we'll catch you guys next time on another episode. Take care.